That way, okay. Now, ladies, y'all are going to have to get on to John, because I thought that was just great. Didn't y'all? <laughs> yeah, I guess I did leave you out there, didn't I? <laughs> oh, thank y'all for the music today. It was great. This is kind of fighting me, so we're going to lower it. Now I can see a little better. Well, today we've made it to our last sermon series out of the, the book of John. And so this kind of ties up the Gospels. And I think you've heard the story of Jesus and the resurrection and the crucifixion and all that stuff before. And so it's getting harder and harder to preach out of these Gospels as we, we hit the fourth one. Uh, last week was Easter, and chapter 19 is what we land on for today. It's all about the death and re uh, death of Jesus, not the resurrection yet. Uh, so I kind of thought we, we've uh, covered that topic well enough. So I want to look at an individual here. Uh, if you come on some of my Sunday night stuff, you've probably heard this story, but I'm going to tell it in a different way. And the one I want to look at comes from the book of John, chapter 19, verse 39. It says, Nicodemus also, who had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. Nicodemus. This is the one I want to look at today out of chapter 19. And we're going to look at how he kind of goes back and forth uh, meeting with Jesus and who he was and what that means for us today. Uh, before I tell you the story of Nicodemus, I want to share with you the story of a man uh, known to medical observers as E.P. or Eugene Pauly for his full name. In 1993, this man suffered from viral encephalitis. Now, most people who suffer from this disease have cold sores and things like that. It's usually fairly harmless. Uh, but for this man, it attacked the portion of his brain where memories are found. And it did a lot of damage to the medial temporal lobe, and particularly the uh, amygdala and the hippocampus. Fancy words. But basically, he had all of his memories from childhood and from his early days in engineering and in early electronics work. Uh, but any short-term memory and even the memory of his children were completely gone. He fascinated scientists because he could meet a stranger, carry on a perfectly good conversation, open a door for a lady, all this kind of stuff. Give him just a few minutes later, though, he would repeat the exact same story, the same pitch, the same funny jokes. If he saw a computer, he would say, huh, back in my day when I started working, you know, those things took up a whole room and you got it sitting on your desk. You could carry on this. And so 14 years from when he suffered this illness until his death, scientists studied this man because he was a puzzle, because neuroscience really hadn't discovered how the brain really works. I mean, you can tell brain damage, but what this little part does and what that little part does, it was still fairly a mystery to him and so he served as the perfect case example because those areas that higher uh, beings like humans have uh, was affected for this man but some of the parts of his brain that uh, are almost automatic uh, were undamaged and so 
they started learning. He, he had to move uh, closer to San Diego where kids were and stuff, so he helped take care of his wife. Uh, but they noticed something that, you know, he may wake up in the middle of the night, fry him bacon and eggs because he'd always cook bacon and eggs, and that's something you can do on autopilot. Because, I mean, if you need to get out a recipe book on frying bacon and eggs, you really should not ever go in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, that's just plain and simple. But like he could do all these things from his past, but he couldn't tell you he ate. He couldn't tell you what he ate, how he got it. Um, and, and so they, they started observing it, but you know, he also had a heart issue. So if you have heart problems, you know, eating a healthy diet is one thing, and also exercise is another. But if you couldn't remember what you ate, and you always like bacon and eggs, uh, that's not a good thing. So his wife would get him up in the morning and they kind of had their little routine and they would walk this block around the house and they did this every morning because she was trying to you know spend time with them and get him some exercise because of his other condition well one day she got up totally freaked out he wasn't in the house and so a man who couldn't tell you his address couldn't tell you where he was from couldn't tell you how to get there that's a big deal if he's gone and so she's panicked. She goes to the neighbors. They hadn't seen him. She calls the daughter. She hadn't seen him. You know, she's frantically looking around the, the neighborhood, doing all this kind of stuff. And then she comes back into the house to make another phone call. <clears throat> He's sitting on the couch. Well, their morning routine was he would get out, walk a certain route around the block. He'd come back. He would sit in his chair by the couch, and she would fix him something to drink. He did that. So that morning, not knowing, because it was the time that they normally left, he got up, walked his route around the block, sat down on his couch, and was waiting for his drink, and was just as pleasant as he could be. Crazy, huh? Well, and there's other things that they did. So scientists, they interviewed this man over, you know, hundreds of times, trying to figure out stuff. And they played a game. And it was like a matching game. Well, if you can't process things that are in front of you because you need memory to show even short-term what the cards were, how the game worked, I mean, he'd start flipping cards and forget what they were even doing. <coughs> Sorry. Ugh. Frog in my throat. And, and so after the first try, wouldn't get it. Second try, wouldn't get it. But after they played this game hundreds of times, he could start matching these cards. He didn't even know what he's playing. He just, well, how'd I do that? Didn't know. And then they started realizing there's a part of the brain known as the basal ganglia. This is what even primates have, and, and dogs kind of have this part of the brain. It's how you can teach a dog to do a trick. And enough repetitive things over time will, will put grooves in this part of your brain, because if you didn't know it, your brain loves shortcuts. It wants to do things quicker than it did it before. This is a survival thing that God built us with. You know, if you see a dog as a child, generally they're not scared at first. But if a parent reacts to that dog, then they'll learn fear from their parents. Or if that dog is ever bit by, or if that child is ever bit by a dog, they know pain associated with dogs. So the next time they see a dog, they react differently than the first time. And it goes on quicker and quicker. It's kind of like uh, uh, doing things repetitively. If you've ever done the same task over and over again, the first time you did it, you had to think, you had to concentrate. By the time you did it the 50th time, you're almost on autopilot doing it. It's kind of like how you get to church. Same route, same thing, everything like that. Well, they realized this part of his brain wasn't damaged. And they could teach him new things, even though he could not process learning. He did not know how he did it. He just knew if he, things would happen and he'd do it. 
And so why do I tell you this story? What does it have to do with our story of Nicodemus? Sometimes we do things in our life over and over again. So many times that we don't have to think about it. We can learn things in our life. Yeah, that's distracting, isn't it? Hit the uh, blackout button if you don't mind. She won't figure it out, but anyways. But over and over again, we can do these things. We don't even think about it. We can learn definitions on how to respond, why we come to church, how we sing songs. We can do them so many times that we don't have to process the information. It just happens. This is kind of what was going on with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was probably an elderly man when this story takes place in the Gospel of John. But I want to back up first to, to the third chapter of John where we started with the children's message. This is where Nicodemus' story begins to take place and what we know about him. In chapter 3 it starts this way. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I say, that I say this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, You are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus at night. As we've read through the Gospel of John, we notice that there is a comparison between the light and the dark between what is good and what is evil. And we see that... <coughs> oh, this is going to kill me. And we see this comparison. But Nicodemus, a learned man, a leader of his community, probably a wealthy man who had all the resources, he wasn't denied anything in his upbringing. He did everything right. He was a pillar of his community. People look up to him. They listened to his words and they accepted his judgment. But there was something about Jesus that was different. Jesus did not fit the mold Nicodemus had prepared himself for. 
He had done things so many times that seemingly like the right way as a Pharisee, diligent to, to keep himself clean and pure and holy because that's what you need to be if you're going to worship God in the proper stance. But in his doing these things over and over again, he wasn't prepared for what God was doing in his presence. He wasn't prepared for what Jesus came to do. Because Jesus didn't fit the mold. And we can see how other Pharisees at times would come and have these interactions so that they could catch Jesus and prove him to be a fraud or some kind of uh, snake oil salesman or something of that nature. Because he was affecting their community. Because God was at work. God was at work among them. And it was terrifying because when God works in your community, he changes things. Who is comfortable with change? I don't see a hand raised. No one just looks for change for change's sake. Some people do, but it's because they're hiding for something, and that's a whole nother sermon series. But we don't like change. We, we look for things to be the same way, especially when we have figured it out. When we know what's supposed to be right and what's supposed to be wrong, as those Pharisees have, we want things to stay the same because we have figured out the right combination. And when we have the right combination, we're going to continue to do it over and over and over again because it works. Because it works for us. We want to be able to do it better the next time because it worked this way the last time. And so as we do this over and over again, it should become easier and easier to do what is right. There's some big church words that we like to use. Sanctification. It means growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. It means heading towards perfection. A goal that's just ever beyond our reach. But each day we should wake up and strive to get a little bit closer to how Jesus lived. And how he lived for us. And how he gave his life for us. We want to study these words. But we want to apply them. But many of us, I'm afraid, we really don't want to grow in the likeness of Christ. We want to learn those key passages. This John 3.16, which comes in the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is a powerful verse. But it is an entry point. It is the point where we come into community with God. Where God comes to live in the community with us. But when we accept this word, not just with our brain, but with our heart, with our soul, with our spirit. God starts to mess with us. He starts to change things. Look what he did with those 12 disciples. One of which was a traitor. Those fishermen, those blue collar guys, those hard workers. Took them away from their families took them on a three-year-long journey only to leave them devastated because he dies at the end. They don't enter into the new kingdom of Jerusalem where everybody says, look how great these people are, you know, bow down and this kind of stuff. No. All but John here dies an early death because Jesus messed with them. Because Jesus came on God's behalf. Because Jesus was God. Jesus was the word that dwelt among them. And if you truly let the word invade your soul, he's going to change things about you. He's going to prune you. 
He's going to pull off those rotten sticks and throw them into the fire so that you can stand before God to be this one that he says, I know this one. He is good. I died for this one. For this is why. In verse 17 it continues. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates, hates the light and does not come into the light, lest the work should be exposed. But he, does not, but he who does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. If we still struggle with these evil works, which we probably do, because we are flesh, we are not allowing the spirit of light to live in us the way we are. If we still struggle, we are not close enough to God yet. And if you wake up each day like these Pharisees did that had so many odds with Jesus, Thinking to yourself, Lord, I've got this figured it out. I'm a good person. I don't have to change anything about my life. I'm doing what you want me to because I know what is good for me. You're going to have odds. Nicodemus could have just been so easily like those other Pharisees because when Jesus came, he came threatening their very way. But Nicodemus did something that the others seemed to have forgotten. He used his brain to consider what his heart was telling him. And so when Jesus was brought, or when the Pharisees were conspiring against Jesus in chapter 7, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who had gone... <clears throat> and who was one of them said, said to them, Does not our law judge a man without first giving? Sorry, let me start over here. <clears throat> Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to him, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So this is Nicodemus being the man of character that God called him to be, sitting in his place in the Sanhedrin as a judge over Israel to handle the disputes of the town, to set these people into the path that God would have them for, to redeem relationships that were severed because of something that had rose up in living life together. Nicodemus, even though the crowd was against Jesus and they saw something that was so damaging, this change that was coming into the present, Nicodemus stood by his character and he said, Do we judge a man before we even hear from him? This is our principle. This is what our law teaches us, that we should give him the benefit of the doubt. He stood up for Jesus here, even though not directly. 
He was seeing what Jesus was doing in their community. He was seeing how people were being drawn to him. And how his own brethren, those that he would associate with, those that he had a sphere of influence over, or those who could be community with him, that they were threatened. And that it didn't matter to them all these things that Jesus was doing, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, all these things didn't matter to them. But to Nicodemus it did. Because no one, no one can do the things that this man was doing without God being involved. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, oh thank you. I don't know if this is going to help a whole lot, but we'll give it a shot. Don't you just love this time of year? We're going to wrap this sucker up, I think. So if you want to learn more about Nicodemus, read the book of John. (coughs) But he was a man of character. And in the the hour of Jesus' death, he was a man of boldness. His character that was rooted in these scriptures and into the person he was saw what God was doing. And he didn't let his mind steer him off course because what Jesus was doing would mean change for his life. And when Jesus gave up his life on Calvary for his sake, he went with Joseph of Arimathea to claim the body of Jesus, to claim him as his own. And he put his own resources into it. And they prepared the body for burial. He is a proof that Jesus was really dead. That he wasn't just maimed or injured and that he somehow resuscitated himself and came back to life. Nicodemus was one of the witnesses to the death of Jesus. And because of that witness, those who saw Jesus alive on Easter could prove his death was real he boldly stood by his God by his Savior so in the life of Nicodemus we see a man seeking we see a man whose knowledge didn't just stop and he was satisfied but when he saw God at work he sought what God was doing And he stood by the character of what God had placed in his life. And then he became a man of boldness. Doesn't matter what he was going to give up. But he was going to do what was right. And so can old dogs learn new tricks? The story of E.P. of Eugene Pauly tells us that they can But it also tells us the longer we live, the more ingrained our traits are in our own life. But it is possible, even with severe brain damage, that we can learn new things if we just do them enough. So if you want to be that person God has called you to be, do those spiritual disciplines enough. Get down on your knees every day and pray to God. 
Get in his word and learn what he has to say. Do that over and over again. Not just one day. Not just for one week. Not just for one month. But if you make a lifetime of seeking Jesus, he will reveal himself to you. And there's a thing about that. The more we do it, the easier it will become and the more automatic our responses are. And so when something bad comes up in your life, because we know it will, you won't have to think and process, well, what would Jesus do? You won't have to wear one of those bracelets because you have been following Jesus with your whole heart for all this time. When tragedy strikes, your response will be automatic because it is the one that you sought is the one who brings relief and brings hope because we know that in this lifetime in this lifetime everything is limited but in the life to come in the eternal days we will live with God's glory forever and ever amen join with me in prayer our good and gracious heavenly father we thank you for the day. We thank you for the witnesses of Scripture and for those like Nicodemus, who at first was puzzled what you meant for his life. But the more and more he sought you out, became convinced that you were the one who was sent to save the world. Lord, teach us to seek out you that way. Teach us to never settle for what we understand, but always seek how you are moving in our life. For as we continue to look for you, the more you will reveal yourself to us. It is in your name we pray. Amen.